Hey, and welcome to the Comacast. I'm your co-host, Cody. And I'm your co-host, Matt. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Comacast. That's right, Matt. It's where we dive into the lives of LGBT individuals whose crime cases have gone cold. And today we're going to be discussing Aaron Salazar. Podcasting from the Lone Star State in Southern California, you're listening to the Coma Podcast with Cody and Matt. Hey, everyone. And so we're glad you're joining us again for another episode of the ComaCast. Um, what has been going on, Matt? You know, we're back. We're back into the swing of things. Uh, we had our uh, episode last week when we came back. And um, what's going on there in Texas? I mean, I know uh, worldwide or I guess I don't want to say worldwide, but nationally, politically, we've both we've had the Democratic convention and the Republican convention. I, so that's been I don't kind think of. We should discuss that. <laughs> so that's been hanging out in the news. And we've had, uh, I don't think it's really affecting um, you in San Antonio, but we've had the hurricane. Um, yeah, the hurricane, hurricane and, Laura missed us. Um, I, I, the devastation. So, you know, for those that don't know, I was a claims adjuster for many years. I actually just left last year, um, last May to you know pursue nursing and writing but of course i've been following it kind of obsessively because that's just what i did for so long so i still can't help but watch and oh oh i i cringe thinking about what the you know what it's going to look like once all the dust settles and the water recedes you know some mutuals were very lucky they the ones that have commented and posted have said you know they evacuated and they got back and their houses were standing, but several of them had mentioned that their neighbors weren't so lucky. And uh, it's it's a really, it's rough. I lived in Florida when Hurricane Charlie hit. It hit my hometown directly. Um, and several other hurricanes followed suit within a few weeks. And just, I had moved to college to Orlando that week. And it was just like everywhere I went, a hurricane was hitting. My parents lived in Tampa. So I think I drove through Tampa I was driving to Orlando when Gene crossed the Tampa Bay and I was in a little Hyundai accent. If you don't know, that's a really small car and I had a little 2001 and it was tiny little four door and the water was hitting my windshield. I thought I was going to shatter my windshield. It was hitting so hard and um, I don't even think it was hail. I think it was just actually rain Um, because I didn't see hail bouncing on the ground, but it was raining so hard. Um, I think it like shifted and I mistimed where I would be, which I wasn't trying to be reckless. I've always done my best to avoid storms <laughs> and hurricanes because I love a good storm, but I know better than to be out in them. I have seen the movies. I am I'm smart enough to know that, you know, if it's going to be crossing, go the other way. But I was trying to get back to college and get back to my dorm, which was a converted days in and all brick <laughs> and pretty sturdy. So it was terrifying. So I, I I've been through several hurricanes and I, oh, donate yeah, everybody. Then, Just donate to whatever relief you can for the, for for that to help, please. You know, luckily, we. I mean, we say this; it wasn't as bad as they had anticipated. And I think for a lot of people who, because there's some areas of the country that don't get like a lot of thunderstorms or like severe storms with tornadoes. Um, and then obviously hurricanes just take that up a notch because in this case, um, the biggest issue, and exp- it's kind of an issue in. Louisiana itself is it's a lot of marshlands and then cities were built on these areas. Ultimately, we 
probably shouldn't have built cities in these areas, but you know, that's another topic. But uh, in this case, you know, they were expecting storm surges and that's what's really the big killer thing. I mean, you have the high winds and all of that, but these storm surges and then, you know, it's for a lot of people who live in this area and know it, but it's hard to like, I guess, comprehend the storm storm surges and like in this case they in some areas they were predicting like 12 to 20 foot storm surges um right and so that's the really devastating part so i mean i guess thankfully uh it wasn't as bad as it could have been um but obviously it's still a devastation for for many people in many places um and a lot of those storm surge to people is difficult you know, if you've never seen anything like it, it's like, oh, well, the storm's over. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, that that obviously uh, thoughts out to those people in the area that were um, hit um, with that. And like you said, um, if you are out to wanting to donate, donate to um, some of those charities in that area that will help um, some of those people get back on to their feet. Um, because, you know, a, a, uh, storms like this, hurricanes, tornadoes, natural disasters are a devastation in themselves, but having to deal with that concurrent with a pandemic is a whole other situation. Um, and so it's a rough thing. And, you know, a lot of these people could also be without jobs because of this situation. So, um, important to always, uh, think about, think about that. Um, anything else happening uh, out there in Texas? I mean, I know like here we we finished our heat wave. I think we're about to get a little bit cooler weather. Thank goodness. I've been complaining to Matt almost constantly, it seems, about how hot it is. And a lot of people are like, it's not that hot. It's California. No, it's super hot. And here's the thing that's making it really bad. Um it's been a little bit humid, which is not necessarily normal, but even under normal circumstances, it gets hot. And the thing is, most people in Southern California don't have air conditioners. And so it sucks. <laughs> and Matt has heard this because I'm like, it's like 85 degrees in the house. 86 degrees. That's rough. <laughs> it's so rough, but thankfully we're cooling down. I don't want to speak too soon because... Our summers are basically August to October, and so we still have still have a while potentially. But a uh, crazy thing, uh, it's been pretty nice out here. But like uh, the ocean temperature, they measured like up until like three weeks ago, it was like low sixty degrees, which is a little bit not normal for the area because usually in the summer the waters heat up a little bit and it's great when going to the beach and whatnot but low 60s normally they're in the mid 70s and then so that was three weeks ago low 60s and then just like a few days ago it was like 81 degrees the ocean temperatures had risen like 20 degrees in just three weeks which um i was reading is like the the fastest increase in temperature ocean that San Diego waters have seen ever or since they've been keeping um, data on it. But I'm like, ugh. just more signs for like global warming. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. 
God, I had to hear that for years. Um, <laughs> totally his fault. Totally his fault. Totally. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, I guess the other thing that's going on is I got, um, so over nursing school, I needed all my immunizations all over again, allegedly. So I had one round of testing and it said, uh, like on a basic test, I did not come back immune to a bunch of things. Even though I did have all my shots, I went to public school and I do believe in vaccinations. And thankfully, so does my family. Um, but I went and had my initial test done to see if what I would need. And uh, I was immune to basically nothing anymore except for like chicken pox, which sucks because <laughs> I actually got chicken pox before the vaccine was available in 1995. Fantastic. Still have scars. And then... Um, so I went back to Quest. I got my last shot in July. You have to wait 28 days from your last happy shot. And then yesterday was 28. I got it the 30th. So yesterday was the 28th of August. So I went and got it. And my results were available today, which is crazy because it took 10 days to get my results last time. And this time they're like, oh, yeah, it'll be done in 24, 48 hours because everything's less crazy. So things are actually getting tested. So guess what, guys? This has also shown us all that these seven to 10 day bullshit waiting periods are seriously because everything is underfunded and understaffed. Wow. We are all surprised. Nobody is surprised, but I have an amazing hole in my right arm now from, uh, from my blood draw yesterday, but they came back and it said, uh, if you like basically a surface test says yeah. I'm not immune, but when you actually like essentially in lame a certain deep dive, I am immune. And I kind of wonder I mean, this whole time and I just had to have like, like eight shots for no reason. Um, so I got my Tdap and flu shot in the same day and I was like, well, I'm sure this will be fine. Oh my God. It was not fine. <laughs> it was not fine for three days. <laughs> I felt really bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think I actually canceled one of our record. Oh wait, I can't remember if I canceled it. We had a recording well, scheduled. Like, yeah, we did. There was one that you did cause you were just like, why? Like it was hurting and you kind of wiped you out. <laughs> I think we did it. And I was like, I think it was like the day we recorded and I had it. And as we were doing it, I'm like, I feel really bad. <laughs> I'm just like sitting in front of the camera. Like, Oh, I feel really awful. Um, yeah, that made me <laughs> it's think. happened a few times. actually. <laughs> <laughs> You've had so many, had to get so many immunizations, um, that people, you know, uh, obviously get like tetanus and that kind of sh a lot of shots when they're younger, but then when they're older, they just kind of don't think about it anymore, I guess, unless they're going to the doctor regularly and then they kind of keep count but like tetanus shot that's a shot you know that you need to get like every 10 years um and so you know if you kind of zoned out on that whole thing and not been to the doctor remember there's certain immunizations but um and i don't know uh, i think it was like a we were talking when because i went and i had to get i never got it for some reason i it was one of those things um for the hepatitis shots that um I was old enough that they weren't mandatory to get them for like schooling or college. And so I just had never gotten them. I, one, I just hate needles, but I remember getting what the first series cause it's like a three part series, but then I never got it. I never finished it. So then out here there was like a hepatitis outbreak that was pretty crazy. Like it was kind of like, the news every day and like breaking news this many people have that's, hepatitis now that's weird and um it was spreading a lot in the homeless community but other people were getting it like you know just spreading um 
And so I was like, oh my God, I have to get this shot now. I can't, I can't even go out. And as Matt knows, I worry about everything. <laughs> so I had to get it done. <laughs> oh my God, poor Justin. And so we went and got my immunizations and we were talking with the, uh, the, um, person giving me the vaccine and whatnot. And I think it was the hepatitis shot. I, I had several shots, but I think it was the the hepatitis shot. She was telling me that it you do stay immune for quite some time, but if you got it when you were a if you got it when you were a kid, I guess that later on in adult life there is a potential that you might need a booster of the Hep shot. Right, and my school wouldn't accept the booster, and I was like, really? Because I have all my records from, so I got my shots. I remember getting them in the 90s and I have the records of that. And then I went to an extra doctor's appointment when I was 14 or 15 and they were like, I think he's missing a shot. But my grandmother, we were going through my records and we're like, well, we're not sure. So like, well, let's just give him one just to cover him. But I don't remember. It was a doctor. It was not my normal doctor's office. Mm. We were sent to one of their, I remember we were sent to one of their like office locations that was way off the radar because my original doctor or like the office didn't have appointments and I had to have this appointment for something probably for college yeah, and or probably for a sport or something I was doing. So I had to, I had to been the sport or something cause I was like 15 and I got the shot, but I have no idea where that shot was. So, and my grandmother kind of doesn't speak to me and probably doesn't have those records anyway. Like I don't exist yeah. right now to my family. <laughs> <laughs> like any of them. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so we will leave it at that. Uh, we hope all of you are going to have a great week this week. Um, coming up next, though, we're going to be talking about our topic at hand. We're going to be talking about a case involving Aaron Salazar. And we are back with a topic today that is um, somewhat interesting. Um, we're going to be talking about Aaron Salazar. And it's not necessarily, uh, I guess no one in this particular case, Aaron did not die, but there is some mystery surrounding uh, his story and it kind of leads into uh, another death that had occurred and it all is involving a train. So this story is from 2018 and it was a Portland State, uh, I believe it was Portland State University. Um he was initially found injured and unconscious next to a set of train tracks. And this is uh, Mr. Aaron Salazar. And he was found near a stretch of railroad tracks in Northern California. And um, Amtrak claims and the investigation initially claimed that he tried to kill himself. And he was unconscious for, he was in a coma for quite a while. And when he came to and was able to speak, his he says his quote um Per of, there was a Facebook video he that was published in twenty at the December of twenty eighteen, saying that he would never ever try to kill himself. So, um, Mr. Salazar disputes that disputes this, and I know that many times when we talk about cases on here, it's someone that you know has passed away or something violent has happened to them, and it's disputed whether or not you know it was a hate crime, and. Uh, Mr. Salazar says it is. His family believes him and supports him. And, you know, I I am definitely of the mindset, you know, believe the victim. Obviously, we should investigate and do the research, but we should believe and support the victim. Um, yeah. He was left in. So he had all kinds of broken bones. I think he's currently paralyzed. I don't know if he still is, 
but he had severe injuries to his brainstem and he was in a coma for a week before, you know, he woke up and spoke at all. So this, one of the things that this brings to light is that what people face in being believed, like I said, obviously we should do an investigation because something terrible happened, no matter what it was, something terrible happened to him. Well, and it kind of brings the, the whole like questioning of whether it was an attempted suicide or like a hate crime uh, comes about because uh, in 2012, there was an incident involving a, a, a student um, and he was on uh, an Amtrak line, the Zephyr line, uh, and he was going to Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, and he had disappeared, uh, Robin Putnam, um, and he was 26. Uh, he was a straight but gay-looking junior, they say, that was going to the California College of Arts in Oakland. And on this Zephyr line, he ended up disappearing. Later, um, his remains were found um, like in 2015. So he disappeared in 2012 and his remains were finally found in 2015. Um, just like on, on the tracks. Um, and at the time the Putnam's told, um, that Los Angeles play that Amtrak also insisted that Robin had committed suicide. Um, and so that kind of is why it's all connected to Aaron Salazar is because Amtrak once again was saying that he was trying to commit suicide. And so when you have instances like this where there's similar cases or similar um, kind of MOs for people falling off trains, and in this case, him dying, and in Aaron Salazar's case, thankfully he didn't die but was injured, and Amtrak saying in both cases that it was suicide, um, you have you have to start kind of questioning that there there could be something um, going on here. Right. And so what happened to Mr. Salazar happened in May of 2018. And most of the information comes from December. So, and again, same as Mr. Putnam, um, Amtrak disputes his, they're saying there's no evidence of anything. So it, I think it, it's also an example of what people victims that face that do survive attacks that do show their accusers and even language like allegedly is used even when there's clear video showing somebody beating somebody you know half to death you know how many times have we seen it where it's like well allegedly this person's being accused of this like uh you know allegedly yeah are are you sure that's the word choice you know (laughs) well it kind of it kind of brings us back to um the first case that we talked about, Marsha Johnson, that there was a, a lot of people on one side of things saying that she had, uh, committed suicide. Um, right. And obviously there's a larger group of people who think it, it was some sort of crime and we discussed that. If you haven't checked that out, it's our first episode. You should go check that out. But um, we, we talked about that case and then, you know, it was disputed. Was it suicide? You know, because people had said she'd been giving things away. And then, but there's other evidence that dictates that it probably wasn't suicide, that it probably was murder of some sort. So it kind of it, it is a kind of a storyline that happens in the LGBTQ community um, when individuals aren't believed in Aaron Salazar's case or 
you know, we're putting out that this was a suicide when in fact it may not have been a suicide. Right. And in Mr. Salazar's case, so Amtrak also indicated that, you know, several passengers that were spoken to that Mr. Salazar had indicated several life concerns and challenges with them. And whether that's true or not, some people are just friendly. You know, some people are just open. Maybe he was just trying to make connections. And that does not mean he threw himself off a train. You know, um, he had texted his grandmother a half an hour before the train arrived and said he'd made a friend on the train and they planned to explore Sacramento, California together. But again, we're also in the situation of these can be ongoing investigations where there's information being withheld from the public, you know, as to not compromise the investigation. Um, so we don't we don't know. We only know what we're told. So that does not mean we're looking at a complete picture. Mr. Salazar and his family may not be able to even indicate that they know more information because, again, a compromised information. So that's why I think it's really important that, you know, we bring these things up in topic and we talk about them that we're not accusatory and that, you know, we can absolutely support and believe the victim. But at the same time, you know, keep an open mind that there might be things that even the victim is not allowed to say publicly yet. So if new information comes out, that doesn't mean it when someone releases new information or can say something that doesn't mean they're less credible. It just means maybe they weren't able to say anything until that moment. So I think it's so important to keep an open mind so that you can provide the most support to the victim. And because how many times do you see people turn on people? Yikes. And that doesn't help them get better. That doesn't fix anything, you know, and on the, if there, if the person, if it did turn out that say someone in the situation had attempted suicide that's no less reason to be supportive than this person needs more help, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, this isn't a black and white case, of course, but I wanted to bring it up because I feel like, um, you know, as, a, as Aaron's family points out, he is a, um, he's a person of color who identifies in the LGBTQ community and, that's target that, you know, it's already a bit of a target right there. We all, we all know that. And trust in investigations and in the police has severely eroded in the last several years, more so than, you know, I would never say it's been great, but I would definitely say it's eroded even further. So it makes it, there's a lot of extra challenges that are, that are already there. And I think they were all, honestly, I think they were already there. I just think now publicly we're acknowledging them. You know, it's like a really ugly wound that was never really cleaned and bandaged yeah. properly. You know, it's that's kind of what we're seeing and caught in the crossfire of the erosion of trust and law enforcement and in people's stories because victim blaming becomes a thing. In the middle of all that, there is still a severely injured person who suffered a traumatic brain injury who needs support. I'm really glad that his family is supportive of him because many of the cases we see that we haven't even done yet or have it recorded and posted and some that we already have, the families were indifferent. They didn't care. And some, you know, just kind of had the, Oh, well they had it coming mentality. Walking down the street while gay does not mean you deserve to be beaten to death. That is ridiculous. But people say that out loud and believe it, you know? So that's what I wanted to bring up today. I don't want it because Mr. Salazar, you know, he fortunately survived it. And, you know, there isn't a ton of information on it. So I, 
I'm hesitant to talk in depth in the way that we do in some of the other cases, you know, because I don't, I'm not trying to direct attention to them. But if somebody does know something, you know, it just, to me, it's just like, well, throwing yourself off a train seems like a bad idea. You know, like, that's why I'm just like, well, we should support and believe the victim. You know, yeah. let's, let's start there. And, and I because mean, I, I think, you know, looking at that, you know, if, if it in fact is a, a crime case that he was pushed off the train in some form, um, it kind of just goes back to like what we kind of like talk about pretty much in most of all of our cases to just kind of be aware of your surroundings. In this case, he talked about, he had told his grandmother he had met someone on the train. Be aware of people you just meet, um, you know, kind of a lot, a lot of times you're in the moment and you don't realize that you might be in danger, but it's always just important to be aware of your surroundings, uh, people you're meeting for the first time, um, just all those key things that people know about, but just kind of keep at the forefront. Um, right. Like we've said before, many times, and if you've many times, especially if I, myself, again, myself included, I have been the victim of assaults and you don't know you're in danger until you're in danger. You know, like when it's our, when things are already going wrong, you were probably already in trouble a little bit before that. And you may not have noticed. And that is not to say that it's your fault. It isn't like, it is not my fault. Someone made the other choices that they did, but you know, it's really unfortunate. Cause I remember the first thing said to me, we're like, well, what were you doing? I'm like, uh, breathing actually. Thank you. Like, it's really unfortunate, you know, but we do have to be aware of our surroundings, but just because we have to be aware of our surroundings and try to make choices, good choices for ourselves, doesn't mean it's our fault when someone else decides to break all bounds and rules and, you know, take a swing at you or worse. So, you know, I think, I think that's about where we are going to leave this one, you know, because there's not really a ton of information, but I wanted to bring it up because people face disbelief in their assault, even when there's witnesses and everything. And it's really hard to trust corporations, you know, that have a lot at stake because would you want to, ha- would you want your business to possibly be, if there was any indication that it wasn't your company's fault or that there was something they needed to do, they probably are going to do it because we've seen it time and time again, where years later, somebody comes forward and admits, well, we kind of did know something, but you know, they didn't want the negative. They didn't want the negative publicity. Yeah. Exactly. Great. Thanks. <laughs> so helpful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this was a very interesting case um, in that, you know, thankfully he is still alive, but that it's kind of tied to uh, a case that had happened um, previously. And that kind of like got the mystery going a little bit. Um, as always, we encourage you to listen to older episodes of the Comacast and learn the stories of some of the forgotten cases that we do talk about. Also, you can find out more about them on our website, thecomacast.com. We encourage you to head over there and check out the content. You can also connect with us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at the Comacast. We do love to interact and hear from all of our listeners. And for example, today, um, our case came from Lil Churro PDX who is a Portland resident. So he actually had learned about this and submitted it to us to review. So yeah, send, send us um, any cases that you would like us to talk about. We uh, love um, doing that. Uh, we thank you listeners. Thank you for writing and reviewing our podcast, wherever you get your podcast that does help more people find us. 
And be sure to hit that subscribe button so you can get to the next episode. So until next time, thank you for listening. See you next time.